pray together. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the beauty of it, the seasons, your constancy. Thank you that we can come into your presence right now for those of us who know you and just bask in the fact that we have a no condemnation status with you. We come to you as children today, Lord, believing you, trusting in your word because you are trustworthy. But we realize we live in a sin-cursed world where the bullets are real and um, we bring in disappointment and discouragement and wounds, Lord. It just comes from walking along the battlefield called earth. So we're authentic with that as well. We love you. We know who you are. We hurt. We long for home. So guide us in that. Give us hope. Not the worldly kind of hope that's buck up and you can do better. Give us the biblical hope that you promised over 180 times in your word. Teach us about that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Right on. Good to be with you. The book Unbroken chronicles the life of Louis Zamperini. Most of us are familiar with his life and have read the book, or maybe you've seen the movie. I couldn't go to the movie. I couldn't take what he endured uh, visually. It was enough in the book to imagine it. But his life story could be described in three words. It gets worse. Can you repeat that? Come on. I know you're awake. Can you repeat that? Okay, so when I point to you, you're going to say... Okay. Louis ran the 1936 Olympic Games, but his hopes for future Olympic glory were derailed by World War II. In 1943, his bomber crashed in the Pacific Ocean, and Louis survived, but for more than a month with no food and water, Louis and two other survivors drifted on a pair of canvas rafts before hitting land. They were near death when they found land, but... Hours of torture, emaciation, maggots, rats, humiliation, loneliness, interrogation, experimentations, a total loss of dignity ensued. And then, just when it looked like it was getting better, it got worse. See, Louis' camp was liberated, and he came home to the embrace of family. He had a hero's welcome when he came home. Louis was a celebrity, but inside, he was a mess. Haunted by nightmares, he turned to alcohol for relief. For the first five years of his post-POW life, homicidal hatred toward his captors consumed him. Nothing in him could prevent his free fall into despair. Yet, Louis Zamperini didn't slide into the abyss. What stopped him? In a word, hope. See, Louis' wife, in a last-ditch effort to save their marriage, dragged him to a Billy Graham crusade. And it was there that Louis encountered Jesus, and everything changed dramatically. On the second night of the crusade, after receiving Christ, Louis went home, walked over to his liquor cabinet, and literally threw all his bottles in the trash. He never drank a drop of alcohol after that night. That night, for the first time also since his liberation, the nightmares didn't come. They were replaced instead by a peace that Louis describes as supernaturally surpassing any comprehension. It just invaded his soul. See, it was optimism that kept him alive in a concentration camp. It was hope 
that replaced hatred with forgiveness. It was optimism in the POW camp during the worst circumstances imaginable that allowed him to remain unbroken. But it was hope in Jesus that made Louis Zamperini one of the most delightful, fun, joyful, eternally-minded people on the planet. I read a story, my favorite Louis Zamperini story. He took up skateboarding at the age of 81. (laughs) See, it was hope that liberated Louis from discouragement, despair, and suicide. Now, anyone who's been to a Christian wedding has heard the famous Bible verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. I recite it often right here on this platform. And now these things remain. Hope, faith, and love. See, Christians and Christianity will never thrive without all three. However, the Christian church has spent years majoring on two and leaving hope out of the equation. We major in faith. Every church has a statement of faith. Go on our website. We have one. You can't become a member of this church without adhering to our statement of faith. You can't work here without adhering to our statement of faith. I stopped life at 28 with a young one-year-old daughter and gave three years of my life full-time to studying faith in a seminary. Faith is important. We major in love. We sing about it. We talk about it. We practice it. We fill libraries with books on it, and nearly every movie has it as its theme. Faith and love get a lot of attention, but few people ever talk about hope. There's no classes on it. There's no statements of hope. In my 20 years almost of being here at PCC, this is the first sermon series that's ever been on the platform on hope. See, God puts it in the list of the top three human essentials, yet for decades Christians have put it on the shelf. No wonder why so many Christians are discouraged. What is Christian hope? And how can it move you? Let's start in page one. What is hope? Uh, I'll make this short so you have hope for the rest of the sermon. Traditionally, hope is something you expect will satisfy your deepest needs. In our English language, you use the word very broadly, so I want to define what's distinct about biblical hope as opposed to other kinds of hope. And I'm not down on other kinds of hope. I just want you to know what's distinct about biblical hope. As a follower of Jesus, how do we have an advantage in this earth that others don't? And why is it good news? It's part of the good news that we share for others. What is biblical hope? Let me give you three types of hope if you're taking notes. Page one, wishful hope. That's similar to optimism. Wishful hope is psychological. This is Annie singing, the sun will come out tomorrow. I'm sorry, Annie, but there are days when the sun just doesn't come out. There are days when the diagnosis doesn't end in healing or when the relationship is not restored. There are a lot of days unlike this May 1st day that God has given us here in 2016. See, wishful hope is when you try to convince yourself something is true, even when it's not true. Then there's expectant hope. This hope is based on some, it has some basis of reality. We see this one in the Bible. If you're taking notes, Luke 24:21, the two uh, men walking the road of Emmaus in Luke 24:21 said, we had hoped that he would be the Messiah. See, it has some basis of truth, expectant hope. These are pregnant women rubbing their tummy and dreaming of the baby that's going to come out. This is Jojo, my seven-year-old, planting pumpkin seeds out of season and going every day to look and see if anything has sprouted. 
expectant hope. Hope based on a probability, but not a certainty. Expectant hope. Wishful hope, expectant hope, those aren't biblical hope, okay? There's nothing bad in those. I'm not here to downplay those. But what is biblical hope? What is it that the Bible uses 180 times? What's one of the top three essentials for life? Faith, love, and hope. What does it mean? This is the kind of hope you can build your life on. And this is what we're explaining in these series. Bottom of page one, look at this. The ability to see a path to the future knowing for certain that you'll have what's been promised in God's Word. Biblical hope takes God at His Word, banks on His character, because God cannot lie, and says, I'm holding, in all due respect, I'm holding you to this. And this is holding me in life. Biblical hope. And see, now you understand a little bit why um, we're so passionate that you know the Bible. Because if you don't understand the 7,000 promises in Scripture or don't even know them, how can you place hope in God's Word? When you're ign- I don't mean this negatively, but when you're ignorant of God's Word, you've got to know the Word and hold God to a promise. God cannot lie, and when we place our hope in His promises, that's certain hope. Let's see a picture of it. Let's take one of the 180 terms. We're actually going to take three of them. Let's go to the first one. 180 times it's mentioned in the Bible. Hebrews 6.19. Hebrews 6.19. This isn't on page two. It's on page one. Here's what it says. This certain hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Three aspects of this. It's strong. In other words, it can support your life and all the baggage in your life. Am I the only one that has baggage? No. The airlines have a 50-pound baggage limit. God doesn't. When it comes to his hope, you can trust it. Then it's trustworthy. It's unfailing. It's reliable. The worst thing in the world, Louis Zamperini experienced this. He ran to a shelter for hope, the shelter of alcohol. And it consumed him and just made him into a monster. It dehumanized him. God and his word is unlike that. God will never dehumanize you when you run to him and his word for hope. It's trustworthy. And then it's an anchor. What does an anchor do? It adds stability in the storms, and it keeps you from drifting. See, God's word, God's character, when we put our hope in him, our life purpose, we don't drift from that. The dreams God's put in us, we don't drift from that. The character of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You don't drift from that. God's hope keeps you human. You don't drift from that. In my 51 years of life and 25 years of marriage, with five daughters, I've got to tell you, I've walked through some very dark moments in life. Very dark. I've had dark nights of the soul. Many of them based on circumstances. But what's tethered me through that, what's kept me from drifting, what's kept me from going to ungodly shelters, hope. Spent nights holding God's word up to him, saying, I'm believing you for this, even when every circumstance betrays it. I'm either going to go down in flames believing in this, or you're going to get me through this. Either way, I'm not letting go of you. I'm telling you, this hope is real, men and women. More real than anything you've ever experienced. With hope, marriages persevere. Parents don't give up on their kids. 
ordinary people hold on to extraordinary dreams that God's put on them and make a supernatural impact with their life, with hope, and in their community. Amazing things happen. Conversely, without hope, when spouses lose it, they give up on marriage. Parents give up on their teens without hope. Leaders give up on their people. Healthy emotions like contentment and peace are replaced with toxic emotions like confusion, shame, worry, disappointment. When people lose hope, despair replaces joy. Fear replaces faith. Anxiety replaces prayer. Insecurity replaces confidence. Tomorrow's dreams are replaced by today's nightmares when you give up on hope. That's a lousy way to live. God doesn't want that for any of you. He doesn't want that for me. You and I have been hardwired for hope. For hope. So let me give you two benefits of biblical hope. Let me show you how this is used. There's plenty of them. Let me take you in the Old Testament, and then let me take you in the New Testament. Let's start in the Old. Hope liberates. Hope liberates. We saw what it is. Now let's see two advantages to it. Biblical hope. Okay? You know what I'm talking about now. It liberates you. It releases you from your past. Easily the saddest thing for me in life is to come across people who've had trauma at some stage in their life and they've moved on physically. We can't stop the aging process. But they've been stuck when the trauma hit them and never moved beyond that because they lack hope. Hope liberates you from trauma that's come into your life. That's what it does. It liberates you from circumstances. It sets you free from past failures, hurts, dysfunctions, generational sin, bitterness, anger, insecurity, guilt. Hope is that powerful. In Lamentations 3, uh, Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations, is coming across uh, the result of Judah, the southern kingdom's disobedience. Babylon had come through and decimated Jerusalem And the center of the activity of God, the temple that Solomon built, that stood for 400 years, is in ruins. And across the embers and smoldering fires, Jeremiah is walking, writing the book of Lamentations. Imagine showing up to this place only to discover that um, arsonists had come in and burnt it to the ground. Imagine the the pain you would feel. That's just a, a small portion of what... Jeremiah felt. As a matter of fact, we're not going to read it in this passage. Read it yourself. In Jeremiah chapter 3, you know what he says? Literally in the Hebrew, I feel like er eating the dirt I'm, going, I'm walking on. I want to eat dirt. This hurts so badly. Have you ever been there? Trauma comes into your life. It's a human experience. We all have. We can be real. It's okay. This is safe. What does he say? What does he reach to? What's going to free him from being stuck in this place the rest of his life? In a word, hope. Look what it says in verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness, we've been there, the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. I love the real nature of the Bible. The Bible uh, frees you up to be real, not to deny reality. In both examples, we see someone who faces the facts. That's what hope does. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have what, church? Hope. Circle that in your Bible. 
Uh, literally, I'll just give it to you now. The Hebrew word there means, uh, it's from a word that means a strong rope. A strong rope. It's a firm, solid expectation. The word picture of hope is holding on and being transported through. Jeremiah wouldn't use this, but I did with my daughters. It's like you're water skiing holding on to a tow rope, and it's pulling you through and out of your circumstance. That's the Hebrew concept there. What gives you hope, Jeremiah? He can either turn to his circumstances or he can turn to the character of God. I know when I have dark nights of the soul, I just rehearse the circumstances all night long. And it puts me in a free fall. Look what Jeremiah does. He goes right to the Lord. In the midst of a smoldering ember of a fallen temple, he says, because of the Lord's great love. What? Maybe God's love isn't tethered to our circumstances. We are not consumed because his compassions never fail. See how he's linking up to the character of God, renewing his mind. He's not telling God this. God knows who he is. He's telling him this. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. See, God promises his hope, and it doesn't mean, because he promises his hope, that your past has to determine your future. Uh, Yesterday, my family and I were walking the dish, and we were talking about senior prom. My daughter is a senior in high school, and um, we've set the boundaries on her senior prom. And uh, one of those boundaries, the mother put out a letter, and the kids have to sign. It's just a crazy world they live in now. They have to sign a release. Uh, about all these details, I didn't tell my daughter this, but I, and I won't tell you this, but I was thinking of my senior prom. And I was thinking I was not a Christian of everything I did on my senior prom. I'm so ashamed of that. And then I backed up and just thought of the generational sin that tumbled down my line from my grandfather and my great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather. And when my grandparents immigrated, their sin nature came with them to America. And the same sins kept tumbling down. Except in our family, secrecy was one of the values. And no one ever told me the susceptibility I would have to alcohol. They just never told me that. They told me my grandparents died of different things and they hid things from me. And so I go into my senior year, and the increase of alcohol just gets more and more and more. And what stopped that? What stopped my past from giving me the same future and demise that my grandparents had and great-grandparents, what have you? Jesus. Hope in something else. I was just walking the dish going, God, thank you. Thank you that my daughters have a different narrative to live because you intercepted and stopped the generational sin of my past and in my own life, so that they could have a different tomorrow. So that her senior ball looks different than my senior ball. Thank God. Oh, man. Let's say it one more time. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. So hope liberates you. Let me ask you a question. Where are you stuck in the past? What is that issue your spouse keeps telling you? This isn't changing. Where is it you're walking through rubble right now? Something's been decimated. And you can choose circumstance. And all your circumstances says, there's no God. There's no hope. You've believed a lie. Or you can do like Jeremiah 
and start looking at God, not start, but renew your mind with God's character and be liberated and pulled out of what's in the past. Hope does something else, though. It not only liberates you from your past, hope motivates you into the future. Let's turn to another Old Testament character, but look in the New Testament. Let's look at Abraham. Abraham, Romans chapter 4. Isn't this fun? I love this. Romans 4. So Abraham, a little backstory here. He started out with the name Abram. Does anyone know what Abram means? It means the father of many. That's what the word Abram means. Father of many in the Hebrew. Uh, he was the father of many who had no kids. There couldn't be a more inappropriately named human being than Abram. God promised him many, and he had nothing. For decades, no kids. And he's holding to this promise, you will be the father of many. And every year goes by till where he's finally 100 years old. And you know how old Sarah is? 99 years old. You know how many kids they have between them? Zero. Is God a liar? What got him through? Look at Romans 4, 18 to 21. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, what we see here is a figure of speech. You see a Greek oxymoron right there. Look at it. Against all hope, in hope. Uh, you, know, you know, oxymorons apparent contradictory things. Uh, postal service. Oxymoron. <laughs> Airline food. Microsoft works. Got it? Pretty ugly. Uh, last one. Government organization. Okay, so what we have here is a Greek. I mean, Paul is personally, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, creating an oxymoron. Because some of you are facing that. That my dark nights of the soul, that's what I faced. Against all hope. In oxymoronic fashion, Abraham hoped against all hope. It doesn't get more hopeless than a 100-year-old and a 99-year-old without any kids. Having to believe God for kids between them. He hoped when there was no reason to hope. The Greek word for hope, by the way, is a strong expectation or anticipation. That's what the word means in the New Testament. A strong expectation or anticipation. Here's what it says. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. There's the promise of God. Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. Abraham, that's all he had to hold on to. Everyone look right here, please. But it was enough. God's word is enough. When all you have is God's word, and every circumstance screams contrary to God's word, choose God's word. Trust me. Bad things happen when people walk away from the promise of God and go to unhealthy shelters. Trust me on this one. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. That is circled in my Bible. That's what hope does. It faces the fact. It doesn't live in denial. It faces the facts. Because every time the facts contradict God's word, God gets more glory. I told you the story with our daughter that we adopted from the Congo. God clearly, clearly spoke to us. I can bring you to the place where I was and can bring you to the place where she was, where God said, that is your daughter in the Congo. 
And four times the U.S. State Department said, this is impossible. We faced the facts, and every time God said, oh, only two times? We've got to go four times, Gary, because I really want to get glory for this one. Third time. Oh, it's the third time? We've got to wait one more time. i really got to get glory for this. When the interview that would lead to the adoption was shut down, and the U.S. emissary should have completely put, nope, this adoption can't happen, but gave her birth mother another chance for the interview, it was almost against all hope. We faced the facts, and God got glory. What were the facts for Abraham? That his body was as good as dead, 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he, now look at this, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. I love that. He held on. But, now, now get this, okay, this is where I've got to help you understand. You can see it in the English but was strengthened in his faith. That is not an active verb in the English. It's not an active verb in the Greek. Abraham didn't strengthen his faith. He had no faith left. He had a small faith. Something came and strengthened him in faith. He just postured his soul before God and said, I'm just barely hanging on. And God said, perfect, let me strengthen you at this point. Very important when we got to hold out hope. He was strengthened in his faith, and this is active. He gave glory to God. Abraham was that guy who was building a crib at 100, and people were laughing at him. He's like, God told me I'm going to believe him. I'm either going to die that insane guy who believed God for too much, or God's going to come through, and you're going to see what an amazing God I serve. That's Abraham being fully persuaded that God had power to do what it promised. Amazing. Amazing. So, hope liberates, hope motivates, and pulls you into the future. Hope releases you from the past pain and trauma. Hope pulls you into the future to what God's called you to. Now, let me ask you a question as we close. I'm going to close in prayer. What arena or what circumstances are draining you of hope? We all have them. Let's be real, okay? Let's, let's face the facts. I've read the prayer cards this week. It has broken my heart. Men and women, sisters and brothers in Christ, there is something unique when we gather as the body of Christ, but the needs in this room are way too much for Gary to meet or any one personal staff. We have to minister to each other, and this is what we're going to do with communion. This is what I want us to do right now. What is that circumstance right now in your life that's draining you of hope? I want to ask if you'd be so bold to trust the body of Christ. If you need to be liberated from a past where your circumstances all around you shout, there's no God, or you need to be motivated in the future, you're holding on to a promise for a prodigal son or daughter or for a relationship to be restored or whatever God has put in your life, someone to come to Christ. And you want to be prayed for hope. See, Abraham gave glory to God but was strengthened in his faith. You're giving glory to God right now. I'm going to invite you to stand up. And then I'm going to invite us as the body of Christ to come around you and strengthen you in faith. I don't have power. These hands don't have power. But God does. He wants to meet you. So if you need a circumstance where you need to be liberated from the past, you need supernatural, biblical hope, 
or you're holding on to a promise for the future, it hasn't come true, and you want to stand and say, that's me, Don't, let's not make this long. Come on, we're a safe place. Stand up right now, right on. Stand up, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Thank you. These are our, our warriors. Stand up. Stand up. If you're around these saints, would you please get around them right now? Come on, leave your pews. Let's minister to this body. These are our brothers and sisters that have vulnerably come to us and said, I'm asking for hope. I'm asking to be strengthened in the faith. This should be a weekly thing, actually. There's someone back here that's standing right in the back seat that needs prayer. Right behind you, Dentons. Right behind you. There you go. Everyone have someone around them. So if you want to just pray out a word, that's great, and then I'll close this in prayer. Or sentences, if you, someone would just pray over them and encourage them, then I'll pray. Go ahead and pray right now, everybody. Father, thank you for our brothers and sisters. God, the reality is we all have one degree or another of places in our life where circumstances betray your character. And we have a choice to make. Would you strengthen us to choose you, to choose your word? Help us to just tether our lives to your character and to your word so that we can have hope. I'm not asking for natural things. I'm not even asking for incremental things. I am asking today for my sisters and brothers who stood and those of us who didn't, who are holding on to painful things. Would you meet us? Would you give us the heart that glorifies you? Like Jeremiah, could we give you praise and renew our minds with your character? Lord, would you give us the heart of Abraham, a heart of obedience based on your call of our lives, even when everything in our life seems dim? So that, Lord, you would receive glory, that others around would know your character. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.